Our guest today, Miss Jenna Coburn. We're talking to a 19-year-old young lady living with a disability, and she's got a strong, strong opinion about what's happening today. It's going to be a good one. Everything is fueled from me wanting to be a better person on Earth. It's time to do your part. I don't want you to dream. I want you to do it. Tap into the conversation. Check one, two. As we cover the latest issues affecting our communities and the world. It is absolutely vital that the truth comes out. Resolve your unconscious bias and grow from firsthand experiences. Is your mind truly free or is it caged? This is Do Your Part with Brian Gallo. All right, everybody. As always, lots of energy and excitement. Do your part. I, for one, am excited yet again for this guest. We have a young voice. We're talking to 19-year-old Jenna Coburn. You are 19, right? Yes, I am. I better know that, right? You should. How you doing? I'm doing amazing. How are you? I'm great, and I'm just really glad that you're here. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to be a part of this. I really am. So why are you here? Why do? Why do you? Why are you a part of this? Um, well, I feel like as a disabled woman, I do kind of have a unique voice in this entire issue. Um, I have this experienced discrimination in my life, mm-hmm. not at all similar to racism in the tiniest bit. But but, but probably comparable. In this, yeah, in a way, it really is. Go ahead. Um, so this issue of discrimination and prejudice and all of it really is something that I feel like I have been personally affected by. So talk about your disability. What What disability do you live with? So at nine months old, I was diagnosed with a neuromuscular disease called spinal muscular atrophy. It's um, a form of muscular dystrophy, and it basically means I progressively get weaker as I get older. Um, within the last four years, there actually has been a treatment for SMA, which is the first ever FDA-approved one. Um, so that has slowed wow. down the progressiveness of my disease mm-hmm. um, a million times. So I really am doing amazing. I love it. And there's like uh, an example, a really uh, tangible example as to how and why you're doing amazing. Yeah. Tell us, for some of the listeners, as far as SMA is concerned, what are the, some of the things you can and can't do, right? Because we have listeners, right? Yeah. So um, I can't lift my arms up above my head. So that basically limits me from doing my own hair, um, feeding myself. Um, getting myself dressed, things like that. As you can see on YouTube right now, I have a full face of makeup on. Mm-hmm. I do my own makeup. Um, I am able to pop my arms up enough mm-hmm. so that I can do my makeup. Um, that's one of my strongest abilities that I do have. Um, obviously, I love talking. I'm <laughs> a very talkative person. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I do need assistance with most of my daily life. Mm-hmm. But and so, and then as far as everything you can do, that sky's the limit on that one. You're Basically. Full, right, you're fully functional otherwise. Those are just some of the things that you can't do or, you, or you need help with. Yeah. All right, so some of the things you love, I know, as, as, again, you mentioned YouTube viewers can see your gorgeous face right now. You have a pretty big following on Instagram and social media because of your voice. Tell us a bit about your voice and how important it is to use it. And tell us some things you want to talk about. Yeah, so I wouldn't say I have the biggest following. Um, well, you've got a couple. Uh, a couple thousand, yeah. Yeah, more so, than most. So um, I would not at all consider myself a disabled rights activist, mm-hmm. um, but I would love to get there one day. I feel like that is not a title that can be self-proclaimed. I feel like that's something that you earn mm. um, after protesting and getting involved and physically being an activist. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my great aunt was um, a Black Panther, and she was also disabled. And I look up to her so much mm -hmm. for my inspiration and really using my voice to um, make people more aware of what living with a disability is like, that it's not the most sad thing, it's not at all depressing. Um, I really like to show a lot of the, my accomplishments mm -hmm. on my Instagram, what I can do. I like sharing how I do my eyebrows different than most people because I do have SMA, um, a lot of things like that. What is the name of your great, you said your great aunt? Yes, my great aunt, her name is Ki'ilu. Ki'ilu, Ki'ilu Inyasha. Yes. We're going to spell that for the viewer, uh, listeners and viewers, K-I-I-L-U-N-Y-A. S-H-A. And she was a huge activist with, you said, um, black African-American rights, mm -hmm. discrimination, civil rights, yeah. and ADA. Yeah. All right. Um, so you wanted to talk about Crip Camp. Tell us a bit about this movie and how it affected you and the importance of it. Yeah. So Crip Camp is a Netflix documentary um, that I believe was endorsed and produced by the Obamas. Mm -hmm. um, it's basically walks you through how people with disabilities gained their rights, how we, um, how the 504 was passed, how the Rehabilitation Act was passed. Because rights didn't just come out of nowhere. Absolutely not. Um, so basically what happened was Richard Nixon signed this act called the Rehabilitation Act. And he signed it in 1973, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and he then passed the act along to this man named Joseph, who was the head of the Health, Education, and Welfare. And he needed to sign Section 504 of it. And Section 504 basically stated that if um, any type of federal institution that received money from the government, so schools, libraries, public transportation, um, any type of government buildings, anything, right? It had to be 100% wheelchair accessible. It needed to have ramps. It needed to have elevators. They needed to offer interpreters for um, deaf people. Mm -hmm. They needed to have braille on bathrooms and elevators and everything. So when Richard Dixon passed that act over to um, the head of the Health, Education, and Welfare. He read over it, and he was basically like, wow, this is a lot of work, and it's going to take a lot of money. And the act actually sat there for four years, unsigned. Just collecting dust. Collecting dust. Just people ignoring it. Yes. It was wow. not an issue to able-bodied people, so it didn't matter to them. So blind people didn't, there were no curb cuts for wheelchairs, there was no braille for blind people, nothing. no interpreters, nothing. Wow, go no. on, go on. People couldn't get on public transportation, hmm. nothing. So, and this again is a big part of what your aunt was standing for. Go ahead. Yes. So, um, after those four years, um, the disabled community basically came together and they were like, We want it signed by April 5th, 1977, and we want it signed then, immediately. And if you don't sign it, you're going to see what happens. And so, what happened? So, what happened? Because um, we know they didn't sign it. Of course not. Right. That day came and it passed and nothing happened. So a few hundred disabled people, I would say between 200 and 300, um, they rolled their wheelchairs and um, walked in to the head um, administrative office of the Health, Education, and Welfare 
in San Francisco, and they sat in the hallways, and they said, if you're not going to sign it, we're not going to move. That was, um, I believe, the longest, most peaceful sit-in in in history. Mm. It lasted 28 days long. It's a month. Yes. Jeez. Um, so... This is a testament to protesting and how things do pay off. Yeah. Once you protest, if you do, if you really put your heart into it and you stick to it, things will get done. And that's what this shows. Um, so actually, about three days into the protest, um... They started to realize they were running out of food. They didn't have medical supplies. They needed more care attendants for the people because there were quadriplegics. There were people with muscular dystrophy. There were so many people that needed physical care. Um, so one of the protesters, his name was Bradley Lomax, I believe. He was a disabled man in a wheelchair, but he was also a member of the Black Panthers. So he had the idea to call the Black Panthers and say, hey, we really need help. Is this something you'd be interested in helping us with? And they immediately jumped on the opportunity. And every single night since the third day of the protest, they made them hot meals. And when they made them hot meals, they then left them breakfast and lunch for the following day. Wow. Um, they also brought them supplies. They were there to physically help. They did absolutely everything they could throughout the entire protest. And... When um, they, when the Black Panthers were asked, why are you doing this for us? Like, we know your resources are limited. Um, why do you want to help us? And they basically said, you guys are trying to change and make it equal for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that is what we are all about. So mm-hmm. we will 100% stand behind you. Um, so that's what they did. So right now, I really feel like the Black Panthers and the Black community itself was so there for us when we needed them. As a disabled community, they were there for us. So now it is our turn to 100% return the favor and be there for them any way we can. Financially, physically, emotionally, we need to be there for our Black brothers and sisters. Um, so that's basically what Clip Camp is about. It explains the entire Everything that I just said, it goes into great detail about mm-hmm. how we gained our rights. Thank you for sharing that. And I watched it myself, and it was really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. It was. And there's other versions um, of this story. You shared another one. Actually, Drunk History, Comedy Central did a Drunk History version mm-hmm. of this, and it's fucking hilarious. It is. It's hilarious. It's yeah. rich. Um, so you said it's time to help our black brothers and sisters, financially, emotionally, physically. So you're here. This is one way that you're helping. Mm-hmm. How are some other ways that you want to help? And it's also important that viewers know that you are mixed race yourself. I am. So yeah, Brian is actually my uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone from my mom's side is black. And I grew up mainly with my mom's side of my family. Um, so all my aunties are black. Oh, my uncles are black. Um, so I really grew up with around that community. Mm-hmm. That's what my family is. That's what my home is. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up knowing and respecting the black community so much and just feeling like I am a part of it. Mm-hmm. And they are my family. They really are. Mm-hmm. You guys are. Literally, figuratively and literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let me, take a, uh, let me take you back to that original question. And it's a hard one. I always ask guests this question. What are some ways that people can help their black brothers and sisters? Well, I think um, a large thing is 
a lot of people don't like to take accountability for their racism. Mm. Or there's no one there to hold them accountable. Racist, everyone, I can almost guarantee everyone has a racist family member. You can think of someone that is, if not racist, prejudiced, or just very discriminative against people that aren't like them. And those people will continue to have that mindset and continue to have those really hateful emotions Mm -hmm. until they're called out for them. Mm -hmm. So I think as people who fully understand and accept that other people um, accept that racism is an issue, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's almost our responsibility to call out other people. Not necessarily a rude or belittling way, but just to say, hey, let me educate you on this. Let me see if you can gain some understanding about why this is hurtful to other people. It's really important to not see a racist cousin and be like, oh, that's just how she is. Mm, Right. No, you need to really have a conversation with them. Don't be afraid to have a conversation with people about how it's okay to change their mindset and it's okay to change their way of thinking. I like that. And again, you kind of came prepared, but that's uh, important. What can people do real time? to be able to make some change. So yeah, if you have a racist cousin or somebody prejudiced in your family, instead of just dealing with it, speak up. Mm-hmm. I love that example. All right, let's talk a bit about your experience as far as dim- discrimination, because you your perspective is a little different, right? I mean, I feel like you you deal with discrimination, but it's doesn't have, it's not fueled by anger. It's fueled by curiosity and uh really lack of education. Talk about that. It really is lack of education. And discrimination can come in so many ways. Um, A big thing that I... Tell us some stories. A big thing that I've recently been struggling with is um, a lot of able-bodied people see people with disabilities and they see me with my girlfriend and they're like, oh, there's absolutely no way that they're together. There's no way that a disabled person would be able to be in a relationship but it don't have a sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is important. I have had my girlfriend been like, "Oh, you have such a great sister," or <clears throat> me or completely different races. We look nothing alike at right, all. Right. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, we were getting Starbucks and we were sitting there holding hands, and she straight up kissed me on the mouth. And the barista goes, "You have such a great friend helping you." Okay, you're, like, you're visibly not, you're more than a friend visibly. Yes. <laughs> wow. And you're pretty outspoken. So what was your response to that? I am. Um, I said, thank you, but she is a lot more than my friend. This is my girlfriend. Sometimes I call her my fiance, mm-hmm. just to rub it in people's faces a little bit more. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, there. But more importantly, you speak up for yourself. That's a, kind of of, that's a different example of accountability, mm-hmm. right? Because you're holding people accountable in that moment. It really is. Um, I... Remember one time I was at the grocery store and I was getting out of my car and I saw a man in a motorcycle park directly on the striped lines where my ramp was. And he was completely ignoring the fact that I had to put my ramp down to get out of my car. And he parked his motorcycle and walked into the grocery store. Like you were invisible. fueled me with rage. I walked up to that man. I said, hey, just to let you know, I'm not sure if you know this. But it's not okay to park in a handicapped spot your bike, visibly on the lines. 
that's how I need to get my van found, so I can get out of the car. And he said, oh, okay, thank you, and turned around. I was like, you want to play like that? No apology. Uh-oh. I walked outside, I took a picture of his license plate number, and I called the police. Wow. Accountability. Accountability, yes. Accountability. <laughs> Is that the end of that story? Do we know what happened with him? Um, I don't know what happened with him, but um, I hope it was um, some legal accountability. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And you didn't lose your head, you didn't flip out, you didn't cuss, you didn't spit. Of course not, no. Mm. I think a lot of um, people have this negative connotation that disabled people are angry at able-bodied people or that we are um, just upset with them Mm -hmm. or maybe envious of what they have. And that is not at all true. Um, If someone wants to blatantly disrespect me, that's fine. That's your opinion. But it's also my opinion to call the police on something that you're doing illegal. Yeah, yeah. What's the message you have for people who don't quite understand how to engage with people with disabilities? Um, I personally have had my friends come up to me and say, oh, you're not like most disabled people. You're different. You're cool. Okay, so let's start by not saying that. Yes. Um... (laughs) There is, it's not okay to group people together. There are people that have gotten in car accidents and have um, lost their ability to walk, and those people may be depressed. That's normal for them to slip into a depression and um, not understand their new lives. But it means someone who was born with my disability, I never had this heartbreaking moment where I found out I was disabled. This is something that I always grew up with. This has always been my life. I have an amazing mom who um, has always taught me to be very, very outspoken from a very young age. Um, So because of that, I feel like you can't group all disabled people together. Um, I want to be honest with you. For about the first 13 years of my life, I wanted absolutely no association with the disabled community. I didn't want to follow disabled people on Instagram. I didn't want to go to disabled events. I didn't want to talk to other disabled people because I didn't want to be, because there was such a negative idea around disabled people. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be grouped in with that. Would you say that you had your own underlying prejudice with that for a while? I did, I really did. I had that stereotype in my head that all disabled people were not cool, mm. that they were sad and depressed, and that... Because that's what you saw. That's what you had learned. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I experienced for a long time in my life. Um, as I grew up and I became a teenager, I really started to embrace who I was. I started to see um, other disabled people in my life and my... My mind changed about them. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? You're really flipping cool. Mm-hmm. Um, my best friend, her name is Destiny. She's in a wheelchair as well. That's something that I would have never done as a kid because I don't want that stereotype that, oh, all disabled people are friends. Mm-hmm. But she's an amazing person, and I wanted to be her friend. And here we are. I met her when I was 13, and we're both 19 now, and we're still friends. Um, I really did have a prejudice towards other disabled people. I didn't um, want any type of association. I really didn't. 
This is interesting because I tend to think that everything can be combated or come, you know, everything can come back to love and love can pretty much heal everything. So what I'm hearing is that once you kind of came into your own and you started to love you mm -hmm. is when that prejudice kind of just lifted. It really was. I started to take a look at myself. I started to love my disability. I started to think, hey, I'm in a wheelchair and other people aren't. That's kind of cool. That's um, a... I love teaching other people other things. That's an opportunity for me to teach other people about disability and teach other people that all the stereotypes that they hear are nothing but stereotypes. Um, and as I started to grow up, um, I started to, again, do my makeup. I started to love myself as a person. Express a yourself. Yeah, express myself. Um, I started to... The more I started to love myself, the more I saw that other people were loving me back. Yeah. And I... Well, they didn't have a choice because you're... It's, with that with that self-love also comes self-respect. Yes. 100%. And you don't play. At all. I know that about <laughs> you. It's not You're not giving people an option to love you. They, they, they have no choice but to love you. Exactly. That's the only option. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, as I grew to love myself, I also... I, I had the desire to meet other disabled people. Mm -hmm. I had the desire to hear their experiences and um, share my stories with them and reach out to disabled people on Instagram and get to know their lifestyles and see what works for them and see if I can adapt that into my own life. Um, and then as I became more comfortable with my disability and more embracing and loving it, I then that grew into me wanting to do activism and me wanting to share what it's like living with a disability and be more involved in the legal aspect of it, of um, what our rights are, speaking out for myself, um, going to public buildings and seeing that they're not accessible. I, before I was 13, I would have been like, oh, that sucks. Mm -hmm. but then, sucks for them. Sucks for them, yeah. Mm -hmm. But as I grew, I was kind of like, hey, that's against the law. You should do something about that. And you have to adapt to me. I often say that I love being black and gay because it's part of who I am. It's created the challenges that I need to uh, see or meet to make me a better, stronger person. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing from you, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's almost like your disability has given you life. It has. It's something that... It's given you purpose. It has. It, um, I, don't, I don't like to say that my life revolves around my disability at all. I know a lot of disabled people that their lives actually do revolve around their disability. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I don't necessarily agree with. Mm -hmm. Or identify with. Yeah, some people use their disability as a personality trait. Mm. And I don't at all. I think that there are a million other ways to describe me mm -hmm. before saying that I'm in a wheelchair. Yeah, or, uh, before, or lesbian or... Right. Yeah. Um, I identify in my sexuality a lot more than I identify with my disability, mm -hmm. honestly. Mm -hmm. um, a big thing that I've had to teach my friends and my mom a lot, actually, is when someone's like, hey, do you remember Jenna, the girl in the wheelchair? That's not okay. There's a million other adjectives that you can use. You can say, hey, Jenna, the girl with curly hair. Hey, Jenna, the girl... That has with her. curly unicorn colored yes. hair. Go ahead. My hair is usually pink. Right. So Jenna, the girl with pink hair. Right. 
Um, the girl who's obsessed with Louis Vuitton. I mean, yes, there's literally. a gazillion ways to describe you. Mm-hmm. She, the girl, she drives a white van. I mean, there's a, a, a billion ways to describe there you. There is. Yeah. And that's something that I have taught my friends. And again, my own mother. Because that's something that she used to do a lot growing up. And because my mom would do that with me as a kid, I thought it was okay. But as I got older, it really did start to offend me. And we were, I was actually re-watching Crip Camp last night with my family. Um, and... In Crip Camp, they brought up the point that it's not okay to describe someone as some. A lot of times, um, when they say I'm getting on the bus or something, and they say, "Oh, there's a wheelchair getting on the bus." There's not a wheelchair getting on the bus. There's a person a who soul. happens to be in a wheelchair getting on the bus. Yeah. And when I was watching that with my mom, my mom turned around and she looked at me and she said I'm so sorry for ever doing that to you and that meant a lot to me that my mom was able to take accountability and realize that that was something that was hurtful that she can grow and not do again in the future this might be hard for you to talk about but as far as your mom and as far as discrimination with people with disabilities is concerned has is are there more examples of that or has she always been pretty good about because I know she defends you right mm-hmm. um so, What's her role in, as far as how you have to deal with discrimination? Um, so a little bit of a backstory on my mom. She has worked with disabled people her entire life. Mm-hmm. Before I was born, she was a nurse. In high school, she volunteered with the disabled kids. Mm-hmm. She has always been around disabled people. So it really was ironic and kind of a silent blessing that I... Um, that my mom is my mom, mm-hmm. because I know that there are so many moms out there that won't stand up for their kids, that won't um, advocate for them, and doctors. Um, I like to think that I matured very fast at a very young age. So I would say for the first 10 years of my life, I saw my mom advocating for me. I saw my mom arguing with doctors for me. Yeah. I saw my mom um, fighting that I have the fanciest wheelchair possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually, when I was about four or five, and I was living in Jacksonville, Florida, um, we wanted to get my first power chair. So most kids with SMA get their first power chair at two and a half or three. I was five, and I was still being pushed around. That's not right. It's not. So we went to Shino's Hospital which is a hospital that helps disabled kids. And um, we were trying to get me a Promobile wheelchair, which is the top of the line, best power chair that you can honestly have. Mm-hmm. And how the rule kind of goes is if your first wheelchair that you get is top of the line, then when you grow up and you get older and you need new wheelchairs, they would never give you something below that. Mm. So my mom was really fighting for me to get this wheelchair and it kept getting denied by my insurance. They kept saying, she doesn't need a wheelchair that fancy. She doesn't need a wheelchair that coats back. She doesn't need a wheelchair that does any of this. So my mom actually threatened to take Medicaid in the state of Florida to, cur- to court. Wow. She threatened a lawsuit against them. And as soon as That's she big. Th- it is. As soon as my mom threatened the lawsuit, they said, you know what? You can have anything you Whatever want. Whatever you want. Totally. Yes. 
and your name will now be highlighted in their files forever. Forever. I'm surprised that didn't get natural national attention. It should have. It was big. That's a big. That's a big, and that's a great example of how she has to kind of stand in front of you always. Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah, I've learned a lot of my activism and having a voice from my mom mm-hmm. because my mom is a very very outspoken person mm-hmm. and i 100 yeah. get that from her yeah i shouldn't say that she ch- always has to be standing in front of you but she chooses to i think that's what's nice about you getting older is you need you don't you need less of that because you're you do that on your own yeah you know um <clears throat> all right so let's talk a bit about what it's like in your position and seeing all of this stuff with George Floyd, right? Let's mm-hmm. let's touch on that just a little bit. Um, how does that make you feel? I mean, do you feel like this is something different, new? Is this something that's always been going on? Is I mean, as you get older and you're 19, mm-hmm. do you, tell me a bit about what you see and the history of that. So, like I said earlier, the I've, I am mixed race, as you said, um, and all my family is black. Um, the part of town that I grew up in Florida. Um, I wouldn't say it was primarily black, but it was probably 50-50 split. Um, so I, my entire life, grew up thinking black people are friends. Mm-hmm. They're family. They are my family. They, there's absolutely nothing different about them than me or any other right-skinned person. Before George Floyd, did you know that this was an issue for your black brothers and sisters? Um, I knew that racism was a really big issue, but I honestly wasn't that educated about uh, racism and police brutality. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't necessarily know how serious it was that cops genuinely did target black people so much more than they did white people. So when this whole uh, completely sad George Floyd incident happened, it was um, enlightening to me. And it really allowed me to educate myself, I guess, on this entire situation and the reality of racism in the police system and how the police really abuse their power and how um, how sad it is that black people are targeted um, 100% more than anyone who is light-skinned. Um, so after this happened... Yes, I did know that racism was a huge issue. Of course, I knew that. I knew that there were racist people still in America, which is so sad to even imagine. And it's my point of view. I'm like, how can you be racist? Like, how can you not love everybody the way that they are? Like, how is that not something that you were just born with? Um, and they were. Yeah. Um, and I really kind of felt that how do I say this? I think that um George Floyd and the entire situation really did just bring a lot of education to me mm-hmm. and how I as a white as a light skinned person am very privileged that I don't walk around um scared of the police. And for a lot of black people that's their everyday reality. Even if they're not doing anything wrong. Even if they're just walking down the street, if they see a cop, they most likely are scared. And that's something I never experienced in my life because I am light-skinned privileged. 
Thank you for that. And it's it's important that people understand. I mean, for me, I always try to find the silver lining in things, right? Mm-hmm. My mother's death, uh, 9-11. I mean, you name it. It's just tragedies that happen. It's like, well, what good has come out of this, if anything? And I think part of his legacy is what you've learned and what other people are learning as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've talked to guests, and I will continue to, about the words white privilege. I don't want to harp on it. I don't want to always have to bring it up. But you just mentioned it. What does white privilege mean to you? Um, white privilege, a really good way of explaining it is that when you're born light-skinned or you're born white, you automatically have a leg up in life. You do not have any of the obstacles that a darker person has. You, um, automatically are trusted inside their shopping centers. You are... And this is what I want. I wanted examples. Go ahead. Yeah, when you're light-skinned, you most likely um, get picked first in games in elementary school. If you are light-skinned, you just don't have fear in your life like a lot of these black people have. Um, It's really sad, but a lot of white people get into higher prestigious colleges more than black people, simply because of their, their race. And so that means that black people need to try 10 times as hard to meet the standard the white people are already held at, if, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense, and it's, it's a proud moment for me to hear you say that. What do you say to any listeners that are rolling their eyes and saying, oh, you know, uh, black people have the same advantages and options and everybody does, you just have to work hard like the rest of us. What do you have to say to people that think that way? Um, it's... That in that moment, you need to take a look at your own privilege. In that moment, you need to say, I am so privileged that I've never been feared for my life. I'm so privileged that I have never once um, had to try harder. I've always just slid through life easily because I'm white. You need to realize that black people have to present themselves as more outgoing because they already are born with that stereotype that black people are angry and aggressive. People have to, black people have to alter their personalities to be more, like I said, outgoing, more friendly. They need to be the ones to introduce themselves to people because white people most likely won't walk up to a black person. How do you know all this? Um, I've... Because you're right, but how, <laughs> how the hell do you know all this? I've honestly seen it happen with you, my uncle. I've seen it with my other black family members. But also... I mean, it's fascinating that you're... Because you're speaking from a black perspective, but as viewers can see, you live a, a, something different. Go on. Yeah, so I live a white-skinned life. Mm-hmm. But the reality of this is, is, like I said, racism is not at all comparable to living with a disability. But I 100% resonate in the fact that I have to have a more outgoing personality so that people want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. I have, I graduated top four of my class and a year early. And I did that because I honestly had deep-rooted ableism in myself. And I personally believed you're in a wheelchair. You need to prove to people that you are so much smarter than them. You need to prove to people that you are a hard worker. You need to prove to people that you can do anything an able-bodied person can do. 
and you can do it better, faster, and talk for your class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like I've also witnessed, but I am talking to black people. I feel like they have that same experience that they feel like they need to try 10 times harder just so that they can be seen at the standard of everyone else. Speaking from the perspective of a man of color, you're 100% right. So, but it's just impressive that you know that. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I want you to tell us a bit more about, so in this conversation, we always will circle back to solutions and you gave us some before, but I know you came up with some, right? Yes. And so I'm not done with you yet. We still have a few more minutes, but I'm ready to hear some of these solutions. Um, so like I said earlier, really holding your racist family members accountable is a huge, huge thing. If you're in public and you see some, if, you, if you're in public and you say you're at the mall and you see a, um, a retail person following around the black person in the store because they're just suspicious about them, you have the right to go up to them and be like, they're clearly doing nothing wrong. You're following them around because you think their race automatically makes them a criminal or someone that's more likely to steal. You have that right to call people out, 100%. Mm-hmm. And people, like I said, people are going to continue to be racist until they're educated. They are taught and shown that things don't need to be like that. Racism is 100% taught. No one is born racist. You can be born into a racist family, but then those family members teach that child to be racist. So with that, you can unteach someone their prejudiceness against other black people, other people of color, people with disabilities. Um, it's as someone or any person that is um, enlightened and very educated on racism, once you find that in yourself that you are not prejudiced, that you love everybody, that you respect everyone no matter what their physical abilities or their color, it's then your job to go out and educate other people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I like that. And that's the one kind of uh, string with a lot, of, a lot of the guests. They always mention that they will now speak up if they see something happen. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like there should be like a task force created of people that are out kind of ready to, you know, set For people sure. straight. Yeah. You know? <laughs> mm. Pardon me while I got a little distracted. One thing I want to talk about, because I, ju- I just got on my cell phone for a minute, because I just had an idea. Um, you're here to talk about all these obvious issues. We're staying on topic. But I want to, at some point, plug your GoFundMe account. Yeah. That's important for listeners and viewers. We all are all are here to do our part. She gave you some solutions as to how you can do your part. I'm actually going to give you a solution if you want to do your part to help her. Uh, we're trying to get her a car. Uh, so we've got some money raised, and I think so far we can get you an okay car, but we want to get you a nice car so that you can be comfortable. For sure. So um, I bought my first car um, about two months after I turned 18. It's a big deal. <laughs> um, I saved up as much money as I could from working, um, and I bought a 1999 Plymouth Voyager. Mm-hmm. She was older than me. Um, she was a she yes she was a she um she was older than me um but i loved that car so much um i my mom hates la traffic 
but I begged my mom to drive all the way to LA so that I could go pick up this car, um, which she did for me. Um, and it needed a lot of work done because it was very old. Um, so I bought the car for about $2,000 and I put about $3,000 worth of work into it after Jeez. I bought it. Jeez. Yeah. So. You live and you learn. Go ahead. You too. <laughs> she was definitely a learning experience. I know a lot more about cars now than I did when I didn't have a car. Mm-hmm. Um, so after I put about $3,000 worth of work into the car, um, I was, uh, me and my girlfriend were driving um, about nine months after I bought the car. And um, someone made an illegal U-turn in a uh, two-way road, mm-hmm. and they hit the driver's side of my car, causing about two to three thousand dollars worth of damage. So you lost the car. Yes. So um, because my car was so old, and they weren't taking into um, account that it was wheelchair accessible, which does increase the value. Um, they just viewed it as a 20-year-old minivan. Mm-hmm. So they totaled my car, and they gave me a little bit of money for it, but not much. Um, so with that, I um, I started my uncle and my cousin actually started a GoFundMe for me to help me pay for the expenses of a car. Um, wheelchair accessible cars um, are about... Forty to fifty thousand dollars more than any type of regular van. If you buy a regular van and you want it to have a ramp, that's going to be about forty thousand dollars. We're going to give everybody the information for this GoFundMe, and uh, I'm glad you shared that story because it's getting ready. It's going to be 119 degrees tomorrow, and I know you're still without a car. But we're going to get this done and uh, head over to the GoFundMe account. We're going to send uh, some people over to your. Uh, Instagram, social media, as well as mine, we'll post some stuff. But, you know, as we continue to, like, people share GoFundMes, uh, they talk about the importance of giving back. Where's the disconnect for some people? And talk about the importance of giving back. Because you've done a lot of volunteer work in, in, in your day as well. <laughs> I have. Um, I do try my best to volunteer with other disabled people. I um, used to attend church. I don't anymore, just for personal reasons. But I used to volunteer with little kids. Um, I really do, it's, as much as you receive, you need to put out at least the same amount, if not more. Because the reality of the situation is, is that you look at someone, and you have no idea that they're struggling. You have no idea what their financial system, the uh, situation is. You have genuinely no idea, um, whether they have hot water in their house. Right. You don't know if they're taking the bus every single day. Mm-hmm. You just look at a person, and you're like, oh, they're dressed, her hair is done, she looks fine. Mm-hmm. But you really don't know what people are going through. Um, and I'm a huge believer in karma. So as much positive energy as you put out, hopefully you will get the same in return. I love it. Karma's real. Mm-hmm. Golden rule. Yes. I love all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we wrap up, let's talk about some things you might want to add. There, we, we talked about Crip Camp, um, but I want you to take this opportunity because this is an interesting, unique platform. To what would If you want people to, to walk away with one thing, what would it be? Um, I want people to acknowledge if you're... If you can't relate 
to having a black friend or a black brother or sister. Maybe you have a disabled friend. Maybe your mom had a stroke and she's now living on disability. Because your mom's living on disability, she's considered disabled now. And every single disabled person would not have anything that they have if it was not for the Black Panthers. If it was not for the Black Panthers and the Black community coming to support us during the 504 sit-in, there's no way we would, we would have been able to do that for 28 days. There, we would have, the, the disabled community would have given up after a week because there's no way that they would have been able to physically withstand that. And our black brothers and sisters came and they joined us and they said, hey, you're fighting for equal rights and that's what we're about. And we're going to stay here and we're going to help you until it gets done. So now we have to do the exact same thing for them. So if you can't relate to having a black friend or a black family member, think about any disabled person that you know. They would not be able to get on a sidewalk. If you use an elevator to go up to the third floor at work, that elevator would not have been there if it was not for your black brothers and sisters. And you really need to realize, everyone needs to realize how important that is and how they were there for us. And they literally changed physically all of America to be accessible. And without them, we would not have that period. So it is 100% our turn to return the favor. Mm -hmm. Well said, return the favor. I love it. This is fantastic. Um, I just texted someone to shoot us over the GoFundMe link. She's looking right now, but um, I'm just grateful that you're here. This is such a unique, I use that word too often, but just a very different, unique perspective uh, from you. Um, and so thank you for being here. So uh, as she mentioned, she gave you some tangible solutions as to how you can do your part. So uh, create dialogue with folks that are different from you. May they be of a different race or even somebody living with a disability. Uh, this is perfect timing. We got the GoFundMe link here. So far, it looks like we've raised $2,600. $2,600. Uh, we're looking to raise money to buy Jenna a new wheelchair accessible van. All right, everybody. As far as the link is concerned, you're just going to want to go on to uh, GoFundMe.com and you're going to go ahead and throw a backslash in there. And then the uh, link to the rest of that is going to be, if anybody knows, you can see I'm stretching and trying to buy time here. <laughs> uh, that is going to be, let's see here. Uh, help dash get dash Jenna a wheelchair van. Pretty simple. But again, go onto our social media. We'll have all of these links there for you. Do your part any way you can. If you want to give back to uh, us and help Jenna with uh, getting herself a new vehicle, that'd be fantastic. Otherwise, create dialogue with some people, learn more, and share this podcast. Anything else, baby girl? No, the GoFundMe link is actually in my bio of my Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram. It's just my name, Jenna Coburn. And the link is there as well. Wonderful. So J-E-N-N-A-C-O-B-U-R-N -N -N on Instagram. Yes. Wonderful. Follow her. And... Uh, Follow us because you already are, so share, if anything. But you know the rules. We love you. We appreciate you. Take care of each other, and we will see you soon.